Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Last Sunday evening, I was, um, I was speaking at the civic service. Uh, was anyone there before I say anything? Kath was there. Kath was, yes, the youth choir was there. It's quite marked notice difference between the different generations. But I, I spoke at the civic service. Civic service is an annual meeting where, for, on behalf of the mayor, um, the, the churches could join together to kind of pray for the mayor and pray for our town. Great thing to be part of. And this year, I have the privilege of being the mayor's chaplain. I get to pray for the mayor. I get to serve him and look after him, make sure he's doing well. And he asked if I'd speak at the civic service. And so I spent a few moments speaking to a mainly quite mature audience last Sunday evening in the Abbey. And afterwards, a couple of ladies came up to me and they said, are you from one of those happy, clappy, faith-preaching churches? I always find that question, I get it quite a lot, I always find it quite a fascinating question. Because you go, well, would you rather I was from one of those sad, non-emotive, fear-preaching churches? I don't know which one you want to go to, but I would rather go to the happy, clappy, faith-preaching churches. And I found it a brilliant conversation that we had after that. Well, today we're going to talk about faith. We're going to do some faith-preaching. Are you ready for your faith to rise? Are you ready to get excited about what God's going to do? Are you ready to declare some truth about what God said? You are what He is and what you're going to become. Because we're going to talk about the shield of faith. So if you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, you can either open your books or you can turn them on. I don't mind which way you do it. They all work the same. Hopefully, it takes a bit longer to find it in my real Bible sometimes. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I was always taught, get every pub closed. <laughs> Some of you got there. Ephesians, I don't know why I was taught that. That's a terrible thing. It's actually happened if you think about it. But they're moving on. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, it's on the screen there in front of us. It says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then... After the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. And be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This key passage is going to be our focus over the next few weeks. We started off week one, for those who were there, we talked about the belt of truth and the importance of knowing what difference between right and wrong. We talked about wearing a belt of truth in a post-truth society, in a place where no one has any absolutes. Are we certain? Do we know who God is and what he says to us? And we gather up ourselves in that belt of truth. The second week, um, Hannah did a great job talking about the breastplate of righteousness, that our, we are set right by God, by Jesus' incredible gift of death and a cross in our place. 
we are made righteous. And whether we just take on the position of righteousness and we just know it, or whether we also practice our righteousness, we behave in a way that looks like we are right with God. And those two things need to be held together in tension. And you wrote down some of you on pieces of paper, which one of the challenge you're facing as we try to become more like him. And then week three should really be, um, it should be looking at the shoes of the gospel of peace. But I've got a friend of mine coming, um, a guy called Adam Kluwer, you'll know. Um, Trevor and Sheila Kluwer, some of you will know. It's his son, Adam, uh, their son, Adam, or Ruth Pittman's brother, is going to come and speak. He has done a, a, a dissertation on this particular aspect of Scripture, of how we tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's just inspiring. I said, Adam, come and tell us. Come and do this as part of our teaching program. But unfortunately, he's in California at the moment fishing for a magazine. So he can't do it this week, but he'll come in a few weeks' time. So we've been out of sync where we should be. And then we're going to look at the helmet of salvation as well as the sword of the Spirit. And then eventually underlining everything with the most important thing we sometimes, I believe, forget. The importance of prayer. That we don't just put on the armor. We pray. Persistent prayer we'll look at in the final week. So let's pray now and then we'll see where God wants to take us to this morning. Lord, I want to pray that you would rise up faith in this place. Lord, help us to see not what we think we are, but who you think we are. Lord, give us a different perspective. Give us different eyes to see what you see. Lord, we're sorry we someone's reduced our understanding down to our limited abilities. We pray, God, you would increase our faith. Increase our faith shield, we pray today. Amen. Amen. Some of you will know, I mentioned in the summer, I've been um, writing a book over the last few months uh, for next year's Spring Harvest event. Spring Harvest is a big event that attracts tens of thousands of people to, um, uh, you know, every Easter time. And next year's um, theme is called Only the Brave. It's based around the book of James. And I was asked to be part of the team that wrote the book on it. And so before the summer, I was quite pleased with myself. I wrote the book, handed it all in by the deadline. Yes. Well, this week, I got all the criticism. The book got sent out to people who are clever authors and people who speak fluent Greek and all these kind of people. And they read through the book and then they sent back their comments. It wasn't very pretty. People made all kind of comments about the language I use, the theology I use, the things I said, the flow, the scripture, the best use of what I've said. And it was just like, that was a hard email to read. But I had to kind of get to that point going, these people want this book to be a great book. I want this book to be a great book. And I had to get myself into a place of going, there's a better response that I can give to this email than what I wanted to give when I first read it. When I first read it, I wanted to send a quick reply going, stuff the book. I'll see you all later, maybe if I make it. I just kind of, there was a reaction in me that I didn't like. I was like, it was like a, you know, which my wife probably hears quite a lot, but there's a kind of defensive reaction when I hear a criticism of what, something I've done. But there's often a good meaning behind the comments made. You know, our mind is a battlefield. It's an absolute battlefield. It's going on all the time. There's a story of a man that, that broke down in a car. He, he got out of his car in the middle of the countryside and he looked and he had a flat tire. She thought, oh, it's a shame, but I will, I will go get my car, um, my spare wheel. I'll get my, my jack out of the back of the boot, and I'll get it all fixed. So he goes into the boot of his car, and he finds the car jack is missing. And it's now dark. He's in the middle of the country. There is nothing around, and he's lost his car jack. But then he looks, and he sees in the distance, there's a, there's a farmhouse. 
just along the way. He says, I know, I will go and speak to the farmer and see if he's got a car jack that can lift up my car so I can change the tire. As he's walking down the road towards the car, towards the, uh, the farmer, he thinks to himself, the guy's going to probably want some sort of money or compensation. Maybe I should get him some money. I'll find, and he found 10 pounds. I'll give him 10 pounds, and I'll say, thank you. Could I have your car, Jack? I've got some money. As he walks down the road, he thinks, to be honest with you, it's going to be a bit of a nuisance for him. He's going to be a bit annoyed by me, and he's probably frustrated by the fact that I've turned up on his doorstep asking for a car, Jack. And he was starting to get a little bit irritated, and just as he's walking down the driveway, the light in the farmhouse goes out. Ah. Oh. He's gone to bed. I am going to be so frustrating to him. He's going to be so annoyed by me. He'd probably be like, who are you? I mean, I'm not even interested in helping you. He may be really unkind and a nasty person. I don't know what I'm going to do. This is really annoying. Maybe I should give him 20 pounds. 20 pounds would be better. And he gets to the farmhouse door and he knocks on the door. And the guy, the farmer, leans out the window and says, what do you want? And this guy with the broken down car looks up at the window and says, stuff your jack. I'll keep the 20 pounds, and walks back down the driveway in an absolute mood. You're thinking that's a ridiculous story, Sim. I would never behave so foolishly with the words that go into my head. How many times have you created a story in your head that's completely untrue because you had one piece of information? It's just me that does that. We do this all the time. Our mind is a battlefield. Do you ever battle with these negative thoughts of things that you think, I can't do that. That will never happen. We have amazing conversations in our head. If we told people some of the conversations we had in our head, it'd be very embarrassing, wouldn't it? Walking along, walking your dog, going for a drive, and there are things going in your head all the time. You think, wow, what happened? People are amazing. You are all amazing people, but it's amazing what you can undo by the words in your head. Two people this week have said to me, I'm looking for a new job. I know I'm too old to get a job. Who said that? Who created that concept in your head that it's not possible? People often have an incredible ability. I've met some fabulous people who tell me I could never do that. They've decided already that they will never make it. They will never succeed in those kind of things. And then there are others who go on X Factor, completely oblivious to the fact they really shouldn't be on X Factor. How does that work? You know, and do you ever do that? You, you talk yourself about situations or you know, do you do this? Do you ever say other people's no for them? I'll invite them to this event. I'll invite them to my party. I'll invite them out for a drink. No, I won't. They'll probably say no. So I won't even invite them. I won't even give them the opportunity for them to say no. I won't say, would you like to come and join the big team? We had a great time this morning in Big Team 4. Probably the best big team, I'd like to say, as I'm part of it. <laughs> But, you know, people, oh, I wouldn't possibly invite them. They'll be too busy in the morning. They'll probably say no. So I'll save myself the whole bother of the conversation. Well, the conversation's already happened in your head. It's a bit late for that. But we don't even, we say people's no's for them. What is going on when we start this kind of internal conversation? And can I make it a bit of a pastoral aside here? If you're having internal conversations, particularly around either a loved one, husband, wife, children, or a colleague at work, it's always best to have the real conversation. Always. If you're going home at the weekend or laying up at night, waking up at night, and all you're thinking about is someone else in your workplace that you're having this conversation with that's just imaginary, get out of the way, have the conversation, and let's deal with some stuff. Because all the time in your head, there is these thoughts, these processes that are going on. And today I want to talk about this piece in Ephesians 6 about the shield of faith. 
You know, the writer of Ephesians, a guy called Paul, Paul wrote most of the second half of the New Testament, and he's writing to the church of Ephesus and a group of churches in that area in West Turkey, a major port city over in Turkey, and he's given them these incredible amounts of information and advice and support and encouragement. Here's how you treat your employees. Here's how you treat your wife, your husband. Here's how you look after your parents. Here's how you look after your children. Here's how you should stay united in the church. Really good advice. And he ends by saying, finally... Finally, his last piece of advice is put on the full armor of God. And we surmised in the first week this idea that maybe, you know, Paul, well, we knew that Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And it, I'm just guessing that he was potentially, um, he had Roman soldiers on guard outside his door. And they'd be dressed in the armor that he would have seen every single day. He'd have seen them dressed in their helmets, in their shields, with their spears and swords. And he just thought, this is a great metaphor of how we can understand what it means to be dressed and ready as followers of Jesus Christ. So if we look at that first picture, we've got a first picture here. I managed to find some pictures online of people who do reenactments. You've all got a friend, haven't you, who does those sort of things. So, you know, they do exist. They go out on the weekend, and these are people that go out dressed as Roman soldiers. This is not a photograph of real Roman soldiers. All right? It's not a 2,000-year-old pinhole camera picture or something. This is actual people who go out the weekend with the nice white legs there. And they go and do their reenactments. But this is called, this shield here is a particular type of shield. It's a Roman shield, and it's called the scutum. Okay? Uh, I think that's how it's pronounced, but there's no one here who's 2,000 years old to correct me. All right? The scutum. And it's not this kind of, you know, the medieval type of sort of coat of arms, polite, um, you know, kind of shield. This is a big shield. This is like walking around with a kitchen door. This is substantial. It was probably three and a half, four feet high and three feet round. It was curved and it was made out of a, a, a wooden frame with, um, you'd put over the top of it, you'd put um, animal hide when it was wet and when it would dry, it'd be absolutely rock hard. And then the middle bit, this middle, uh, the metal knob in the middle there is called a boss. All right, that's the boss that deflects anything coming at you. So I've got a feeling, Hannah, this one's for you, that when you say I'm bossing it, what you mean is you've got your shield and you're giving a good old prod with your shield. You're bossing it. Because that middle knob there is called the boss. You have this massive shield, this Roman shield called the scutum. And it was like an incredible line of defense. It would completely protect you and you could stand behind it and have no worries of being hurt because the, the person attacking you would have to get through the shield in front of you. It was substantial protection. And it could even then, with that metal boss, almost be attacking as well. It could be shoving people out of the way. And this image of shield of faith was not some polite shield like we tend to make in kids' work. You know, it's kind of like the cutout with cardboard. This was a substantial piece of equipment that would protect a Roman soldier. So you have this shield. And then Paul uses this description of being a shield of faith. What is faith? We say faith is a word that's used a lot. Do you have faith? You know, that was George Michael, I think, wasn't it? He said that. But it's in the Bible as well, in a few places. And we talk about this idea of, do you have a faith? You know, what faith are you? And we use this kind of expressions. What is faith? What is this shield of faith? Hebrews 11 said this, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I'll read that again. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Putting it this way, faith is your spiritual eyesight. Faith is not what you see with your real eyes. Faith is what you see with your spirit eyes. 
That is, you, your reality might be, this is never going to work. This is never going to happen. Faith says to you, oh, yes, it will. Oh, yes, it will. Faith tells a different story to what your eyes tell you. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, we live by faith, not by sight. Well, then Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. That we, Our faith rises when we read the word of God. Faith doesn't just come by some kind of like, if I just strain enough, I will create faith inside of me. We need to create faith by reading through what God said, not what we think he said. Faith is believing in what we can't see. That's what it is. When we sang the song this morning, I was blind, but now I see. And some of you are singing the song, going, I love this hymn. It's a brilliant hymn, but I was never blind. I'm not sure if I can really understand that. If you have faith, you now can see. I was blind. I could not see who God was, what he had done for me. But now faith reveals a different story. And my eyes are opened and I'm no longer blind to things of faith but they, I can see spiritual goggles that take us away from our natural and gives a very different image. Faith enlightens us to what God has got for us. Faith enables us to see round the corner of God's plans and purposes for our lives. Our reality right now might be hard work, but God is not taking you through a time of testing. He's taking you through a time of training for what is ahead. And our faith takes us there. And so Paul takes this idea of a shield and a faith shield, and he kind of because a shield protects you. A shield protects you from the attacks of the enemy. A shield deflects the enemy's advances, and, and the shield was deliberately curved so it deflects anything off it. Arrows coming at you, swords being passed at you, but, but, swung at you, it would deflect off the shield. It's there to protect, it's there to deflect. It was the first line of defense. You know, you could go out into battle with your helmet on, with your breastplate on, your shoes on. But you know what? A couple of swings of a sword and you're in trouble. But if you've got your shield up, you're going to last a lot longer. And your shield is the most important first line of defense. A shield is there because it's, it's to protect you and it deflects the aims of the evil one. So Paul carries on in Ephesians 6. He says there, he says, in addition to all of these, he says, Hold fire, also hold, can't read my own words here. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. The devil is always sending at you fiery arrows, all right, or fiery darts, depending on which description or which version you use. But the idea is that the devil has this continual assault on your life, and he does it almost completely through discouragement. Discouragement is his number one weapon. And he throws those things at you like thoughts in your head. You might think, oh, I'm protected. I, I know that, you know, that he, he won't affect me. Listen, every day you get up and you already have a thought about the day ahead. You're already thinking about the people you're going to meet, the place you're going to go. What should I wear? What am I going to be involved with today? What are the challenges I'm facing? And fiery darts are being thrown at you left, right and center. And they're entering into your mind. And you're already processing the battlefield of the mind has begun the moment you wake up. And the devil is sending his discouragement. If he can do anything, he discourage you. If he can pull you out, take you alongside. And last week, I know that Hannah used the verse about, you know, the, the, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. And I always find that verse fascinating because it's, it always doesn't say waiting for people to devour, someone to devour. 
The devil likes it when you're isolated and alone and you're separated. When people get discouraged, they tend to step away from community. They tend to step into their own space. They go, I'm having a tough time. I need a bit of alone time. I need to get away from things. I need to get my head straight. You need to get yourself into the word of God, into the community of his people, and start raising up your faith, not reducing down your connection with those who love and serve God. Because once we get isolated, the devil goes, great, now I'll send you some great fiery darts that will discourage you and take you on a different track. It's the devil's main tool. Those little comments, those whispers, it will never work. You can't do that. Who do you think you are? And we believe the stuff that happens in our own head. Those moments of panic. Moments of worry. When we create those stories in our head with only half the information. When we get depressed or lonely. The devil puts those thoughts in our mind and we grapple in the battlefield in our head. And I've used the word darts there it's because there's an acronym that's quite helpful here. Of the darts, when you know, you know when the devil is sending fiery darts at you, when they're these things, if you have the next slide, when they are destructive, when you hear comments in your head that are negative and destructive to rob and destroy, that's what the devil does. He wants to come and to rob and destroy. Jesus comes to bring life and peace. It's a different language. The devil has a accusing comments. He accuses you of doing things, of saying things, of he criticizes, condemns, blames. Jesus never uses guilt. He never uses shame. The devil uses shame. You know, you might think it's embarrassment, but sometimes it's just shame or it's pride. I can't possibly show my face again. Do you know what I've done? That's a devil thought coming at you. Or are this rule orientated? You know, did you read your Bible? You didn't read your Bible. It's not very good, is it? Didn't pray today. Wow. Really, I don't think you should go to church today because that's like really bad. And there are these rules based. The Jesus we believe in in this church is a God who has a relationship, who loves you regardless of our behavior. He thinks you're amazing. When you hear those accusations, comments, you hear those rule-orientated comments, it's not from Jesus. It's from the devil himself. And then there's this temptation, being tempted to do things you are not, are not good for you. Jesus gives us courage to stand, to be still, to know him. And there's more time you could probably spend on this in your connect groups this week. Pick up a connect card and get yourself along. Slanderous. And I mean by that is when you hear comments about who God is or who you've started to believe he might be or who you think you are or what God might think of you, when they become negative about your character and about God's character, that's not from God. That is from the evil one. And Jesus had these experiences himself in the, in the wilderness. You'll know those 40 days he spent in the wilderness before he started his ministry. The devil met with him and gave him all those kind of comments. And he tried to play with his mind. And Jesus reacted, no. And he quoted scripture. Every time he went back to the word of God, he said, no, you know it's been said. And he would recite scripture back to the devil. So 2 Corinthians 10 says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The shield of faith is about us taking captive every thought, saying, I am refusing to get, let the devil have an inroad into my mind. And I'm picking up my shield of faith and I'm deflecting all the blows. And I'm saying, you've got no chance getting in here because I am safe 
behind the shield of faith. One of the things I want to really focus on this morning is about the, there's an actual specific order in the way the armour of God is written. And I kind of regret in some ways, you know, moving things around because I was looking this week going, no, there is actually a very definite order. And so the, the, the Ephesians 6 passage there describes that first of all, you have the belt, then you have the breastplate, and then you have the shoes. And those were things that were standard wear. Any Roman soldier worth his salt would get up in the morning and put those on. In fact, probably being blokes, they probably didn't change that often. And they'd probably live with their shoes on, their breastplate on, their belt firmly buckled around their waist. All right. But if you look at Ephesians 6, it says this in verse 16. So he talks about putting the different aspects on, the different kind of piece of equipment. And then in verse 16, it says, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith. Or in other words, verse says, take up the shield of faith. And here's what I discovered, is that Roman soldiers, I've got next picture of our lovely friends, the weekend warriors. Here we go. That when Roman soldiers relaxed and got themselves a cup of tea, went to the loo, had a meal, they would do this. They would put their shields stacked up and they would have their helmet on top, their sword behind, and there you see the spear propping up the shield. And they would lay them out in a line and then they would go and get themselves a cup of tea. They'd go and take a few minutes nap and they'd go to have a rest, whatever they would do. They would always stay dressed and ready for battle. But they had to pick up their shield and put on their helmet and grab their sword before they went to battle. And there's a distinct difference as you read through Ephesians 6 between the having of the first three items and the taking up of the next three items. There's a deliberate activity going on. You know, faith is not something that just appears. Faith is a deliberate action you have to take. If you're really full of faith, you need to engage in faith. You can't say, God, I like some faith. Could you just deliver it to my inbox? That'd be really helpful. It's a deliberate, um, you know, intentional, I'm going to pick up my shield of faith. I'm already dressed. I'm dressed with the shoes of the gospel of peace. I've got my belt buckled of truth around my waist. I am wearing the breastplate of righteousness. But now I'm choosing to pick up faith. It's not something that's just there. It's something I'm deliberately doing. I'm participating in this. And so if you look at the, at the book of Ephesians there, Ephesians 6, it's important we get the basics right, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes. But then we take hold of the special toys, the shield, the helmet, and the sword of the Spirit. It's really important we do those things in the right order. We have to choose to have faith to see what God sees for us. It's a decision that we have to make. Do we want to be faithful? Is a decision that we make. Do I want to be full of faith? Do I want to be faithful? Is a choice. It's not an accident. Oh, it wasn't very faithful. I decide. I choose to pick up my shield of faith and say, I am going to be full of faith. I'm going to deliberately do it. You know, there are times, I know you won't believe this, Sim, the super pastor. I have moments of doubt. Sorry to bust your bubble there, people. I have moments of thinking, seriously, what am I doing here? I have this experience. I think it's just me. I, 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 I get to speak at some really amazing places. And I've, I've sat in these kind of green rooms with some really well-known speakers. And I sit there. And often Lottie and I will sit there and we're going, how do we get in here? And I have this complete fear that one day they'll find out I'm not that good. 
that I'm just like in the wrong room. Ever had that feeling? I've, I've kind of turned up in the wrong place. And we're sitting there and we go, oh, that's so-and-so. Well, that person, they're, they're really, their church is like thousands of people. They've written 10 books. And we're just sitting there going, it's just little old us. Those moments of fear and doubt. Even me. Do you know what I do? This is really weird. And I'm just going to be really honest with you here. I stand in front of my mirror. And I have to say things like this. Greater is he that is in the world. Great is he that is in you. That's the problem I've got. I don't even know my Bible. I look in that mirror and I get confused myself. Maybe because I'm reading it backwards on the mirror. Who knows? But I stand, in the, I stand and I have to say to myself things that say, you know, I want to choose a different path. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I have to say it more than once sometimes to make sure I get it right in the first place. My God shall supply all my needs according to my riches. No, his riches. He will supply everything. I'm struggling financially. I don't know how to provide for my family. Listen, the promise is never about you'll be all right if you work a bit harder. He can supply all of my needs. I choose the different language. And then I say things like, you know, with, with man, this will never be possible. It will never with man, this is impossible. With God, what does it say? All things are possible. And I love the fact when I start reciting those scriptures, I always go back to the King James Version. What's that all about, people? I always go back to the old ones I remember from a child and I make those statements that I believe in a God who is bigger than my circumstances. And I choose to point at myself and I declare a different story. Why do I do that? Because I'm building up my faith. I'm picking up my shield of faith and I'm saying I'm choosing a different outcome. I'm recognizing there are things flying towards me. There are thoughts in my head of what I think I am and who I think I'm becoming. And I say, greater is he that is in you. I get it right that time. than he that is in the world. I choose a different language. I choose to get up my shield of faith and say, actually, my God is bigger than all the challenges I'm facing right now. And I have to learn to rely on his strength. I was talking to someone just today who said to me, well, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can keep on going. I don't know if it will keep on working the way. And I'm like going, you're right. You can't. You can't. I cannot do everything that I want to do in my strength. I can't be the husband I want to be, the father I want to be, the employee I want to be, the church leader I want to be in my strength. I'm not good enough. But when I raise up the shield of faith and I deflect the arrows of the evil one, I choose a different story that says, my God is bigger than the circumstances I see in front of me. Because I'm starting to see with faith eyes, not with man's eyes. Everything changes. And you need to have faith for yourself, to faith for what God will do through you. And then you need to have faith for others. I mentioned about families. We need to protect one another. There will always be times in church community where other people are struggling. And that's okay because one day it will be your turn. That's how it works. And our time is then to go, you know what? I've got a great big shield of faith. One of the things the Roman soldiers do is they used to create incredible formations. This one you'll see on the screen here from our friends from the Weekend Warriors here. It's called the Testudo or a tortoise formation. And what they would do is they'd hold up their shields in front of them and to the side of them. And then the guys in the middle would put it over the top of their heads. So when the, the arrows, and often they would be, uh, there would be a light, these fiery arrows would come flying over at them. They would have complete protection. 
they would be protected from one another. Now, if you didn't work together and you left a bit of a gap in the middle, that was dangerous. But if you rallied your troops together and you held tight, you could have a strong and like a human tank that could go through anything. And that's what the shield of faith does in community. That when you and I say, I'm going to choose a different story. I'm going to choose for me and for my family. I'm going to pick up the shield of faith and say, my God, it's going to be a victorious situation. And we get our family together and say, we're not, we're not coping very well, but I'm deciding to choose to pick up the shield of faith. In our church, we get alongside those who are struggling and say, don't worry, because God is with you. God is for you. Stand behind the shield of faith that I have got, that I am carrying. You're struggling to even think about picking up your faith right now. Let me stand with you. We do it together. We do faith together. It isn't meant to just be an individual act. It's not just our battle. It's the battle of the kingdom of God and all of his people. That we are battling this spiritual battle. And sometimes it amazes me, I think especially in the Western world, we try and take on the devil in a spiritual battle with physical and practical responses. We need to make spiritual responses. We need to raise up and increase our faith shield and say, actually, I'm going to choose a different story today and pick it up and defend those around us, both near and afar, so that we can overcome we can overcome, we contend, we stand side by side. You know, the Ephesians 6 says, stand firm. And we stand firm with our, with our armor on and our shields in place. And we say, my faith is going to tell a different story. My faith is going to tell a different story. If you can invite the worship team, come and join me. I don't know what you do when you're struggling and feeling like you're lacking in faith. I don't know what you do when you find yourself in a difficult place. When you're like going, my head noise is telling me something I'm not really enjoying. I'm struggling to know where to go next. And, and this idea of picking up a shield of faith, Tim, it sounds great. It's a lovely metaphor. You've made it sound very accessible. You've tried to quote some scripture, got it wrong. Um, really, Tim, we're not that impressed if you can't get it right. But we need to get hold of the word of God. We need to get hold of the word of God and choose a different story. And that's what the shield of faith does. When the arrows come flying at you and they're going for your head noise and they go over your battlefield of the mind and the conversation started and things are being said in your head that you don't, don't agree with, how do you come against that? You start to get yourself straight into the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes from the Word of God. And I don't know how you are reading your Bible. I encourage you to get into the Word of God. It is the place where you can know you're safest. And uh, Dave Ritchie, come and join me here. Yeah, because you're one of the tallest people around and this will make a great shield of faith. Come and stand smack in front of me. Lovely. Here's what you do. Beautiful. It's a, it's a, as all those arrows come flying at you, you choose to choose to speak different language. And you say things like this. I've got loads of verses here. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. What am I doing? I'm hiding behind my faith shield. I'm saying there's a different story to hear. I'm no longer exposed. I'm safe. Or I say, this is the day the Lord will made. We will rejoice. Some people need to start rejoicing. One of the things the devil hates most is people who are happy, clappy, faith preaching. And somebody to get more happier and clappier and a bit more faith-filled than we have been. We go behind our shield of faith and say, this is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice. Or Ephesians 3, we say, God is a God who's able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. 
I don't know how imaginative you are, but God is greater than you can ever ask and imagine. And so often we restrict God down to what we think He might be. But we get behind our faith here and we declare in Ephesians 3 that He's a measure more we can ask or imagine. Your words that guide my feet and a light for my path. Or Psalm 18, the Lord's my rock. He's my fortress and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield. He is my shield. He is my shield, the power that saves me. Come and get me if you think you're hard enough. I'm hiding behind Dave. It's great here. My place of safety, Psalm 18. Romans 8, the whole of Romans 8 is a fantastic chapter. Just read the whole thing a dozen times and you'll feel 10 times better, I guarantee it. But it says things like this. I'm convinced nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow. I'm putting up the field of shield of faith. I'm saying it's not going to change me. I'm choosing to believe in the power of God's love that nothing will ever separate me from Him. And I know that I can be confident that my worries for tomorrow don't need to be worries for today. That He will look after tomorrow for me. I love this one from 2 Timothy 1. says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. Or as the trusty King James says, of sound mind. Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you.